Hello and welcome to the Entrepreneurial Coder Podcast, where I talk to developers who are also business owners. Maybe they're self-employed, maybe they lead companies. I want to get a sense in this show of how they got to where they are. So if you're a developer who wants to get into business yourself, then hopefully this show has got some good tips, tricks, and lessons learned for you. This is episode 18 with Shirley Wu. One quick announcement before we get started today. I've just embarked on a new project with my friend and collaborator, Otto Kukic, to build a platform to make it easier for event speakers to find and apply to tech events. We're calling it speak.dev, and you can find information about it at the web address speak.dev. So what's the deal with this project? Well, one thing that I love doing in the tech industry is to speak at different events. So whether that's conferences or meetups, I love to travel, get on stage, and ultimately meet and connect with new people in the industry. But finding events to apply to hasn't always been the easiest. I speak at about a dozen events per year, and I often find myself scouring about five or six different resources to get info on events. Then I need to make sure I apply to them before the deadline, I need to make sure that I don't double book myself, and this has always been kind of a pain and is something about the process that I haven't enjoyed a whole lot. It turns out that Otto has had the same pain when it comes to applying to conferences and meetups as well. Otto is a seasoned event speaker, and he actually does that for his job. He works in developer relations. So he's going to conferences and meetups all the time, and he has to go through the exact same stuff, except for him, it is a lot worse because he's doing a lot more of it. He and I have talked to a lot of people in the industry who have the same kind of pain, and so that's why we decided to do something about it. And that's why we are building speak.dev. The ultimate goal is to help event speakers find and manage their events better and just generally make it easier and more enjoyable for them to do more speaking. Now, the cool part about this project is that we're doing pretty much everything out in the open. So that means we're live streaming almost everything we do from planning and organizing to actually writing the code and everything in between. So if you'd like to follow along with us and you'd like to get notified about when we go live, head over to speak.dev and sign up for our mailing list. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle there is speak.dev, so all spelled out, D-O-T, dev. And we've also got the same handle on Twitch, which is where we'll be live streaming. We'd love it if you followed along with us and we hope to see you there. My guest today is Shirley Wu. Shirley is an award-winning creative who focuses on art and data visualizations. She's a freelancer who helps companies with tough data visualization problems. In her spare time, Shirley enjoys traveling and spending time with family and friends. Shirley, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ryan, for having me. Very excited to talk to you. Um, I've been looking over your stuff that you've got online uh, for your data visualizations. And I've got to say it kind of, uh, it's near and dear to my heart because in a, in a former life, I did a lot of stuff with data, with visualizations, particularly yeah. around uh, around mapping. So I, uh, I went to school for geography stuff and, uh, and geospatial analysis and this kind of thing. And so part of my job back then was to do sort of data visualizations, definitely not to the level and the caliber that you've got here, but uh, they, uh, they're very inspiring, the, the visualizations that you've got up. And I'm wondering maybe if we could start by maybe just telling people what a data visualization is. Yeah, actually, first of all, that's really, really awesome <clears throat> to hear about um, your geog- uh, the, the cartography background you have, because that's a, 
that's part that's a part of data visualization that's um i feel like it's it's a part of data visualization that's so different from what i usually do um that i i like don't usually touch it because it's very intimidating to me it's like got a whole okay. different set of rules um right. but data visualization the kind the the one um that i often do for my clients is um where we take um, a data set, um, and that could be very small, um, from like, you know, 50, 60 data points to very, very large, and that could be thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of rows, or um, millions. I've, I've personally never worked with millions, but um, it's taking just um, large amounts of data, and instead of trying to, you know, find anything interesting out of like just rows and rows in Excel or something, um, mm -hmm. we visualize it into, say, a chart or a graph. Um, and the, the ones that people are probably the most familiar with are bar graphs, um, uh, pie charts if you use it in the right circumstances, right. Um, line graphs. But um, the, the, the type that I tend to like to do is things that are a little bit more exotic looking, a little bit more experimental. Um, and a little bit more, hopefully, artistic and aesthetic and delightful. Yeah, totally. And I, I would say that what you've got here on your website, which we'll link up, uh, but for those listening, it's x or sorry sxywu.com. You've got uh, you've got a ton of great looking visualizations here, and um, I, I I think correct me if I'm wrong. You're using D3, um, the JavaScript yes. library D3 for most of this. Okay. So what what is D3, and, and what does it offer for developers? Yeah, so D3 is a JavaScript library and it stands for data-driven documents. And the core concept behind it is that we want to create data visualizations in the web. And the way that we do that is we map um, our data and like each each uh, element in our data um, to either SVG elements or we draw it to Canvas. Um, and D3 at its core help us, helps us do that mapping. And so D3 to me is really great for, let's say, converting our raw data, whether that's like temperatures or dates or years into say X, Y axes so that we can like position them or it helps us calculate say SVG paths so that um, we can draw, let's say like a, mm, let's say a tree layout or mm. a court diagram or um, so that's that's what to me D3 is really really great for a tool for translating data into the visual, um, and of course it does um, multiple variety of other things too. But mm. um, that's that's what I use it primarily for. Gotcha. And does D3 come with like a set of predefined, um, I guess, visualization utilities already, or is that kind of more up to the developer to create themselves? And then maybe D3 is a bit lower level. How does, how does it work? Does it give you things that you can render right out of the box? Um, D3 is quite low level, and that's what I really, really like about it. Uh, there's hmm. a lot of charting libraries that are built on top of D3 that kind of like different and take the different parts of D3 and then um, and then they, the, the, the libraries themselves have like built charts on top of the D3 libraries. And so, so you just plug in data and you get out your bar chart or you get out your, um, your node and link diagram mm. or something. But D3 itself is that um, 
each module just gives you like kind of like one part of building the data visualization in the web. So like okay. one module might help you translate the data, one module might help you draw that like translated data on into the DOM and one part mm. might help you with the interactions, et cetera. So like it's it's literally just a toolbox and you need to be able to pick the right one to create the visualization you want. But okay. I really love that flexibility. Yeah, yeah, it seems like it gives you sort of a good base to work with and then you can yeah. be free to do what you want. That's really cool. Um, so you, you're a freelancer. You, I, I see here mm -hmm. on your, your site, you've, you've done some work with uh, companies like Splunk, uh, uh, Lumio is another one, and you are now a freelancer. Tell me about your journey going from working uh, with those companies to deciding to mm -hmm. go out on your own and uh, kind of what prompted you to, to make that leap? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the, the two companies that you listed were my full-time jobs, and they were absolutely really great at kind of setting me up technically. So at Splunk, they're a big data company. So when I started out, um, I was doing front-end development for them, and that's how I learned about D3. Actually, when I started with them, D3 was just coming out, and nobody in the company had really played with it. And so as a new person, they were like, uh, are you interested? And I was mm. like, sure. Um, and so that's how I kind of learned about D3 and I got to play with it on the job and I love that so much. That was so fun. And at that time, I didn't know why it was so fun to me, but um, D3 and building, I think I was building like tree layouts for them or, some, or tree trees for them or something mm -hmm. like an editable tree um, that I started getting into it more and more. And I got involved with the Bay Area D3 user group, which is mm -hmm. like a local meetup group for uh, D3 support back then. It was like 2012 and like nobody really knew how to use D3. Um, right. And so it was like a support group. <laughs> um, and I got involved in that and that's how I learned that, oh, like D3 is actually a library to do this thing called data visualization. I didn't even right. know that data visualization was a thing. Okay. Um, and so getting involved in that, I like started to learn more about it. And that's kind of um, when I got to my second job at Illumio, um, I was like, okay, I really like this data visualization thing, um, and I feel a little bit more confident with my technical skills there. Um, I want to help build up a product from the ground up. So I got to mm. learn about the architecture of creating a data visualization product. Um, and after a few years, I was like, oh, um, it was a startup, so I was working nights and weekends. And, and I realized around then that I really wanted to spend my time building up my own dreams mm. instead of someone else's dreams. Right. Um, and so um, I think it was two years, two and a half years or so after working with uh, the startup that I um, kind of took that jump, uh, which mm. was really scary for me because I'm very, very extremely risk averse. Um, okay. I, was terrified by the idea of not having a regular paycheck coming in, but I right. had some really good friends around the time that was freelancing in data visualization. They really kind of encouraged me and told me how to do all the like legal and accounting nice. and sort of perspectives. So it's like, okay, I, I'll give it a try and the risk is low because if I fail all else, I'll try looking for a full-time job. Right. Um, and uh, and, and there was a, it, was a, it was a very compelling, um, personally compelling move just because um, Illumio was an enterprise security company. And mm. um, what I learned from there was that I loved building data visualizations, but I didn't quite enjoy security. And so I was mm. like, okay, I'll go 
freelance, get the chance to work with a lot of different clients, figure out what I'm personally interested in. And here I am, almost four years later, still that's loving awesome. the freelance. <laughs> Going strong. That's great. That's that's really cool. Thank um, you. I'd love to chat about one thing you said there, which was you yeah. um, you loved doing this work, but you didn't, and you, you kind of had the realization you wanted to work on your own dreams, not the dreams of yeah. somebody else, not the dreams of a, a company. And I think that's that, that was definitely the case for me when I decided to make the jump to go like full-time consulting slash doing courses and stuff like that. And I, yeah. I've heard that from a lot of people that, you know, they, there comes a point where you're like, you know, maybe I like this company. It's a good company. I like working for them, but I just don't have the motivation to uh, put everything in for them because it's not my thing right it's 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 doing work for someone slash something else um what is it do you think that uh people sort of like wh why is it that people hesitate i suppose around that if they if they've got sort of thoughts around like hey i want to work on my own thing but I, I don't know what is it that you've seen that that causes people to sort of hesitate when they have that same realization that you've had um in terms of like going out on their own doing their own thing Hmm, that's a really interesting question. Um, I, I don't think I've actually spoken to too many people about like what's stopping them or anything. Like, there's mm -hmm. certainly been a lot of people being like, "Oh, I really want to freelance um, in this field too." Um, what would you recommend? Like, what would you recommend for me, etc. Like, it, it's it's always kind of an advice of like, how do I get started, and not as much um, a like this is what's stopping me. Um, right. My personal guess um, is, uh, for example, like I was very lucky financially just because um, the first company I went to was Splunk and they had just IPO'd. And so I had a little bit of like buffer space um, in my bank account where I was able to be like, okay, I'm going to dedicate like half a year to this to a year, like depending on how long I can make it stretch. And if all else fails, I'll go back. Um, and that buffer kind of also allow me to take that leap. Um, and so my biggest guess is kind of around the money. Um, yep. And this is, I don't I don't think I've like, you know, talked to people that were scared of doing it, but I'm just talking from my personal experience. Yep. Like before why I didn't do it was, I was scared about um, not having that constant influx of money. And mm -hmm. I think that's probably true for a lot of people of, um, um, and that that would be my best guess. I don't I don't have like a. Hmm. Like, I've heard that too. The reason. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd say in in my experience uh, speaking with people that you know have this kind of dream of going out on their own, uh, dream of working on their dreams as opposed to mm -hmm. those of a company. That that's a common common reason. Um, you know this this fear that maybe it's not going to work out. Uh, this fear that perhaps it's you know maybe they'll get a little bit of work but then it will dry up. Um, is there anything that you do in particular to? I, I'm curious about this. I haven't spoken with too many people about this, but like. Do you do much to plan for like a long stretch of time into the future for work that you expect to come in or that you sort of think in your mind you need this work to come in so that you have sort of like an idea of like how much money is going to be coming in over the next, say, uh, three, six, 12 months? Or do you kind of mm. like um, 
do you, do you look maybe is your horizon a little bit uh, a little bit more narrow than that? I'm I'm curious about that because I, you know, I've done it in in a few different ways. Like for stretches mm -hmm. of time, I've sort of done some planning. Like, okay, I know this client's going to need uh, this bit of work at this time, and you know, I I do planning around that, and I, I put the numbers together. But at other times, like you know, if if things are flowing well, I feel a little bit less worried about being meticulous in my plans. I'm curious about your take whether it's like something that you do like you know strictly you plan it out for a long time or if you just kind of take it as it comes yeah so um i think when i first started i was i think a lot more meticulous about it just because when i first started um the clients weren't coming in as regularly so i had to really be like okay so if i take this client um for this amount of time i'll be able to make this much and then um and then i should be i should try and take another client at the same time to be able to make my annual goal, let's say. Right. Um, and, and so I, I had set myself annual goals because um, I'm Chinese American, so uh, I have very Asian parents that uh, have very um, uh, specific expectations out okay. of my career. <laughs> and freelancing for myself is not one of them. Oh, and so okay. when I first started, um, they're very like, you know, it's a very like, um, you got a computer science like degree, like right. you're, you're in Silicon Valley. Uh, right. Why aren't you at a tech company um, that gives you stock options? Right, so, right. Um, so when I first started, I had to promise them, like, if I can't make the same amount I'm making full time um, doing freelance, and I'll go back to full time. So um, when I first started, I was like very much very meticulous about trying to figure out, okay, um, if I do this now, um, and if you know, I keep going, and and I was able to plan out, I think. Um, three or four months in advance just because that's how long I tend to do I tend to like doing my uh, my uh, projects um, and so I'd be able to say okay like if I just get this and then if I get another project of about this size like I should be able to hit my annual goal right. so I think in the first maybe two like one and a half to two years of um, my freelancing I planned very meticulously because I, I really tried to hit this annual goal I had. Mm. Um, and then last year, what I realized was how much it was really stressing me out. <laughs> okay, interesting. Um, just to have to constantly think about, um, yeah, just to have to constantly be thinking about money. And it was turning me into like a person that I really didn't like, where um, <laughs> I would talk to potential clients and I'd be really excited about, like, and, and really good ones with like very interesting projects. Um, and I would like, and, and they seemed really nice and, I want to work with them, but then sometime during the call, I'd be like, okay, so they only have this much budget, which means that, like, you know, to be able to meet my annual goal, I need to, like, be working on, like, another, like, their budget is a little bit smaller, so then I need to be working on something else in the side. Like, where right. um, I was turning into this person where um, I wanted to, like, I couldn't separate the number from my client. I really hated that. Oh, okay. um, so, um, in the last year, um, I'm trying to kind of really self-reflect on why I'm so stressed about money. Yeah, yeah. Um, like even when I hit my annual goals, like why I'm so stressed about money. Um, and and trying to be better. And and I realize it's because I was aiming for the maximum of what a software engineer can make in the Bay Area, which is mm. a very ridiculous amount. Um, right. And it's very stressful trying to hit that. Um, and then as soon as I realized, like, oh my actual like cost of living is like 
much, 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 much lower than that. And mm. and then to to kind of um, being like, oh, as long as I hit that and I have like more buffer, like I can be happy. And and having that mentality, I stopped being so like, oh, I I'm like this client is so great because their project is so interesting, aligns with my goals, and thus I must. I must do everything I can to work with them. And now right. it's like, oh, they're like really great and I love to work with them. But um, if I can't, that's okay because like I'm not so stressed trying to meet like an arbitrary monetary goal for myself. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's cool because it's I, I've had that thought. Like I think oftentimes when we set goals, there's not like a I don't know, like this, they've got to be arbitrary to some point, right? Like there's, oh, yeah. <laughs> there perhaps <laughs> perhaps you can set a goal that would be like your minimum viable amount. Like so, if we're th- thinking of income goals, like your minimum amount that you need to live, right? But not many people are going to set a goal for that because that's pretty, you know, base baseline. So we set our goals mm-hmm. higher, but like you know, <laughs> at what point do you do you set it to uh, where it just becomes like some arbitrary number um, that, you know, realistic or unrealistic, it's it's maybe um, just s- turning into a point of stress uh, as to whether or not you're going to yeah. hit it if it's too high, right? So that's really cool that you had that uh, realization. I think, you know, that comes, I'm sure, with experience. I, I've, I've started to, you know, I, I've been doing this since a little bit uh, less time than you. So it's like since 2017, I've been freelancing. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm starting to have those realizations now myself. So that it's interesting to hear that you've you've gone through that uh, that process, um, and that there's kind of light at the other other end of the tunnel. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's really cool. Um, I'm curious uh, about how you kind of market yourself. So you're, um, you know, it looks like from your your profiles online, you've got a very strong focus towards your, the data visualization stuff that you do. Um, but I'm curious because it's kind of a niche thing, sort of a specialty, mm-hmm. I would think. Um, is mm-hmm. there a particular way you've found that's been useful, a particular means of, of marketing yourself that's been useful? Is it all word of mouth, uh, the way that you get clients, or is it uh, is it something else? What, what do you do to kind of uh, to drum up a client roster? Yeah, so I'm very fortunate in that um, the clients I get uh, are almost, if not all, inbound, so they always find hmm. me. Um, and I've... I don't ask them how they find me because it just feels really awkward to be like, hey, so by the way, how'd you find me? Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I did that once um, and I felt really awkward because um, I guess it was when we were still trying to figure out the contract and then it, it sounded very like, it. I don't know if it was the way that I phrased it, but then the way that they returned it was very kind of like, as if I had asked for them to flatter me, which I okay. wasn't. I just wanted like marketing purposes, but then it felt so awkward that I never did it again. So all this is to say, I don't have a definitive like market research of how they like or analysis of how they find that like usually find me. Right. Um. But um, my, but I do um know with like pretty com- like pretty confidently that um, I think a lot of them come from uh, all the projects that I publish online. So okay. when I first started freelancing, one of the strategies I had was I knew that I had to really build a portfolio of work that um, I was proud of that also represented the kind of work that I want to do mm. so that future clients would find me through those projects and then um, ask me to do similar projects. And, and so the first year or so, I only took 
projects that they were going to publish online or publish externally somehow. So um, no matter how good the offer was, if it was for something internal that nobody else can ever see, mm. I said, thank you so much, but no, thank you. Um, yeah. Just because I knew um, doing data visualization, just like you said, like you're absolutely right. It's a very niche thing, even like it's very niche even within web development. I think mm. it's gotten slight bit bigger over the years, but like especially in 2016, it was still really quite niche. Right. Um, and the one thing we have going for us is that it's very visual, like it's people are drawn into it. So if you just put your work out there and if you just make it visually appealing, people are going to like it and find it and spread it. Right. Um, and so and so that was my um, initial approach of I built out a portfolio in the first six months. Um, and I think that uh, I think that went over really well, and I think that's where a lot of um, a lot of the clients find me somewhere online mm -hmm. in one of the publications. And then because I was able to build that portfolio, I was able to also speak at conferences about mm. um, either um, the technical aspects of building data visualization. So I gave some talks about like T3 with React, or about the things I learned building all those data visualization projects. And I think that um was less impactful but i think it had a very it, it, like nobody ever came up well i never really got client projects right after a conference but it was mm -hmm. usually like you know months later or like right. years later people would be like oh i remember seeing shirley at this conference and she talked about this and oh like our team mm -hmm. is trying to do this um, maybe we can hire her uh, that's so really cool those are the two big ones yeah, that's really cool that you like uh, are are seeing the effects of conference speaking um, down the line because I, I've experienced that too, and I, I've I've been wondering about that lately um, whether or not mm -hmm. I should keep doing as much conference speaking as I have been. I do it maybe like mm -hmm. ten or twelve times per year. I'll go to different conferences oh, wow, and, yeah. and speak on various topics, and I, I I'm trying to get a sense of whether or not it's like worthwhile because it is an opportunity cost in a lot of ways, right? Like the mm -hmm. time that yeah. you take to travel there and do the thing. Definitely. That's, it's time you could be, you know, uh, making money doing work at your desk. Um, and I, I've been trying to come up with some sort of model of whether or not this is something that's worthwhile. Um, so I guess, would you say, like, for you, has it been worthwhile to do conferences from a business standpoint? Um, because there's other there's other elements of it too, right? You get to travel to cool places, you get to meet mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> meet other people. I think for me, it's more about meeting other people in the industry. That's like the biggest mm -hmm. thing. Um, but yeah, like business-wise, would you say that it's like, I, I guess my question is this, if someone is thinking about going to conferences and speaking there strictly from a business point of view, do you think that's a good use of time or, or not so much? No. Yeah, so I think if their goal is to increase their bottom line with speaking because um, like it's, it's, it's such an indirect and it takes so long. It's like so much more of a long-term investment that, yeah. like, if the if if the goal is strictly to make more money, um, they would make much more money just heads down. Like, freelancing rates are like pretty nice. Like, it's pretty. Mm -hmm. It's it's a, it's a usual freelancing rates are pretty nice. So like, they would make much more money just heads down at their desk. Yep. Um. Having said that, um, I think 
there's so much more value to what you're saying, especially um, the part about meeting other people and meeting mm-hmm. other people in the industry. Um, like one of the things I really enjoy, um, for example, is just getting to travel to other places and really getting to know, um, or like just getting to see the like web communities there or developer communities there, or JavaScript communities there. Mm-hmm. Um, just because living in Silicon Valley, living in San Francisco can get to be like a very, it, it, it can be uh, a, quite a bubble sometimes. Right. Um, and and we, I think we just end up thinking a certain thing about the world or about our products or the technology. It's really nice and refreshing to be able to like step outside of that and yeah. see other communities and what they're working on, what their um, concerns are. So that's the first part. And the second part is really just all the other speakers that I think this is what every speaker says that's like the most worthwhile like all the speakers um that you get to meet that are absolutely amazing at what they do mm-hmm. um and i love the friendships i made and made with speakers like you know there's there's ones that you might not get along with and there's like ones that you really get along with and i, I love the friendships there especially because now like i can if i if i have like any troubles about things I'll, there's so many things outside my domain of expertise so if i have any like questions about there i can like ask a friend that i met at this conference and mm-hmm. um and then like um be able to debug that so much quicker than if i tried yeah. to google for it for so long um, and that and also just um and 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 because then we become each other's like advocates too like each other's advocates for work and so i have friends speaker friends that would be like, oh, check out Shirley's work if you need to do this, or they start referring me. Um, And so it's a much more long-term investment than like if we just try to like heads down do work. Um, Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed that aspect. Um, And and, uh, there's there's one thing that someone said at a conference that really stuck in my mind, which was something like, uh, I don't remember the original intention of this, but uh, they said um, something along the lines of how they knew, you know, in, in their younger years when they were like 20 or 30, um, you know, they were working on a like full-time corporate job and they would see like their friends that were freelancers making so much money, so much, so much money. Um, but then um, in 10 years, in like 10, 15 years or so, that person had, um, you know, like risen through the ranks of the corporate world and mm. was like um, doing really well for themselves. Um, and then, um, like the friends that were freelancers, they kind of stayed like where where they were, like when they started freelancing, because they, were, you know, there there isn't that much. There's like a cap to, I guess, how much you can raise your rate unless you're like superb. Um, mm. And so I guess they. They kind of stayed there and then now it's a little bit hard for them to find any sort of senior roles and that really mm. stuck with me as like something that's like oh if you just heads down keep doing your work um, and that's great but like if there isn't any sort of like self-investment and mm-hmm. um, that could be like it could be that in 10 years like you're still at the same place as you were 10 years ago right and so to me conferences is one of those like self-investment like mm-hmm more than just getting your name out there but just getting to know other people in the industry and yep yeah absolutely yeah i found it very very 
useful, I suppose, is one way that I could put it, but it feels almost wrong to say useful because I, I don't, I'm not trying to like use my conference attendance and the, you know, friendships that I make <laughs> there as, as a business move, yeah. but, uh, you know, it's, it, it's been, it's been certainly, I suppose, beneficial business-wise in some ways, but for me, like you more so, it's, it's much more about, uh, making those friendships. I really enjoy, like, if I know somebody kind of online and then mm -hmm. they're at the same conference, yeah. solidifying kind of a relationship that way, it's really cool. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, that, that I think, in, especially the industry that we're in, it, it works, I think, well in our favor if we can sort of prop each other up in that way as we come to yeah. know each other and, and then promote one another. And then it's kind of a, a nice virtuous cycle from the things that I've experienced anyway. So, uh, you know, conference attendance certainly is, is a very helpful, feed, uh, helpful um, sort of thing to do, place to go yeah. uh, to, to, to help solidify that. So that's really cool. Um, Wondering about in in from your experience, what are some things that are like tough about freelancing? What are the because we talked about you know sometimes it can be a little bit scary whether or not um, money is going to be flowing in. Um, so that's certainly one uh, one thing that people fear. I think when they think about freelancing, um, what else though is is a tough part for you about freelancing? Yeah, so money is the number one thing. <laughs> um, I think that's the part that stresses me out the most. Um, I think in a lesser degree, um, yeah, actually, I think that's 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 the thing. I yep. don't actually, I'm trying to think of other parts about oh I guess um I it's not as stressful it, I don't know if it's as much of a negative um it's it's it leans slightly towards more towards the negative for me mm -hmm. which is that I don't get to code as much um mm -hmm. especially nowadays um because like you said um or, or rather that you know there's there's all the business overhead uh, that you have to take care of like right. um you know negotiating with the client reading contracts i really hate reading contracts Ooh, that should be that should be <laughs> on my list of things i really hate doing yeah. freelancing yep. um, reading contracts um because they just are always very painful um yeah. do you uh, have do you, do you always use the contract for, from the client that you're doing work for or do you have your own because i've got i've got my own standard contract but i mm -hmm. uh i don't always get to use it it kind of depends like it depends on whether the client is really pushing for their own and mm -hmm. like how much I want to do do that work, I suppose, for them. Um, yeah. So I try to use my own standard when, when I can, but uh, I don't always get to. Do you have a standard contract or is it always? <laughs> no, I uh, I keep telling myself that I should like go and like make a standard one for myself. Like I knew that uh, I got AIGA, the, the Association of Graphic Design, or is that? Wait, maybe I'm thinking of the wrong one, but like there's actually like those standard contracts available for designers and I'm like, okay. I should just go, you know, adopt it into my own. Right. Um, and I guess I don't have to read contracts so often that <laughs> that like I, I've still not done it. Like I think I only have to read it two or three yep. times a year, but those two or three times a year are really it's painful. <laughs> It's very painful, yep. but it, it it hasn't been painful enough for me to go and spend the time making my own senior contact. So yeah, um, I always go with the clients. Gotcha. 
What about, I'm curious about this. This is like a, something that I've experienced a little bit is when you're, when you do work for multiple different clients, um, you kind of start to establish a little bit of relationship with some members, uh, some team members, maybe for the client that you're working for. And then once your work wraps up, uh, you don't really talk to those people too much anymore, maybe. And then you're, you're on to another client, so and you're, you kind of restart the cycle. Does that get like, does that ever for you? Does that ever get sort of not tedious, but like just a little bit tiresome? Like kind of meeting new clients, meeting new people all the time, and then like repeat the process a couple weeks later. Mm, I think for me, it's quite alright, just because um, that's why I tend to like doing projects that are two or three months in mm -hmm. length that are like a little bit bigger in scope. Um, just because then kind of the, the turnaround of meeting new people isn't so fast. And yep. so <clears throat> um, I think personally it's quite all right. And I think the other thing that makes it a little bit easier for me is that I tend to work for data visualization. Um, I, 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 have, I tend to have two types of clients, either the ones that are uh, for like marketing purposes or for journalism purposes. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're usually very like one-off um, or the type that is um, internal like kind of analytics sort mm -hmm. and and they might have like um, more sustained needs. Okay. Um, but because I do more of the first type of kind of one-off projects, usually like I'm only working with one like from the client side I have like one point person mm -hmm. and that's who I'm talking to throughout the process and so okay. I also don't have to I also don't meet too many team members like once in a while for the second type of internal um, analytics sometimes I'll meet an entire team but most of the time I don't have to so I don't actually have that sort of exhaustion Cool. That's good. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love meeting new people, but I'm definitely an introvert rather than an extrovert, which, yeah, me too. Uh, which means I, you know, too much, too much of it uh, you know, <laughs> might, might, might be a little bit tiresome. But uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's something I've experienced from time to time. But for most of my clients, you know, it's if, for me personally, it's, it's uh, most of the, most of the ones that I work with are, are more long term relationship rather than like a mm -hmm. quick six week. Uh, eight-week project um, but I, I've certainly experienced a little bit of exhaustion from time to time um, wondering about um, so there's like <clears throat> for you it's not not super tough to like you know meet me new clients and everything what about like do you work kind of on your own for most of the day like you, you you've got this point person that you're talking uh, to for the client uh -huh. but one thing that I've heard from a lot of people is like if you're working, especially from home or from you know remotely, it can it can get lonely. Like doing work oh, yeah. from your desk just by yourself sometimes gets gets a little bit lonely. Have you experienced that? Oh yes, 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 okay. yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So just like you said, um, I'm I'm very similar. I'm I'm like in the middle of that extrovert introvert hmm. spectrum, or um, and I lean a little bit more introvert, but I definitely get extremely lonely if I don't get to see other people um, for the for the first half a year that I was freelancing I was working so hard around the clock that I uh, there were times unhealthy times that um, I did not leave the apartment for maybe like three or four days and wow. no two or three days and I think I only left to go to the gym um, okay. thankfully um, 
I live with my vet, like uh, husband, um, and uh, he would you know come home and I would have one person to interact with. But I remember there was a um, in that first half a month, the first time I went to a meetup after like a few months, I was like, oh my god, how are you? Like, what's the outside world like? Please talk to me. <laughs> Um, yep. So definitely, yeah. There's definitely cabin fever. Um, and 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 uh, that first six months, I I didn't go anywhere because I just didn't want to make any expenses. I didn't want to spend any money. And and once I started making more money again, um, I started like working from cafes once in a while if I mm. like felt really cooped up. Um, and now um, what I have is like for the last year and a half or so, um, almost two years, I've been renting um, a uh, studio space with four other people that are also oh, cool. creatives um, and it's like a very beautiful space and um, we're all like we've all become really good friends because there's only five of us mm-hmm. um, and it's a really great I think of it as all the best parts of being in an office without all the annoying parts of working in a company <laughs> okay that's a good excellent thank you that's cool um, yeah Excellent. Yeah, I uh, I can definitely appreciate the kind of office uh, solo. Well, I guess in my case, it's a solo office. I used to work from a co-working space, but I recently mm-hmm. got uh, my own dedicated office. And productivity-wise, it's really good for me, but uh, but I definitely experience a little bit of loneliness now because I'm the only one in here. And uh, um, the co-working space was good because it was, you know, interaction from time to time with other folks. But it's uh, it, yeah. it was it was a little bit of a distraction, at least where I was a little bit. But it sounds like you've got yeah. a, a good mix of the two. So that's that is definitely cool. Um, what's your take on? Yeah. So if, if people want to start to get into freelancing, I think it's a common um, desire. There's a lot of people that have yeah. specialties. They've got, you know, they're, they're really good in a niche. Uh, or maybe they're a generalist, whatever the case may be. What's a good way to start to make a, some forward motion into freelancing? Yeah, so um, I wouldn't really suggest what I did, okay. <laughs> which was um, just like quit. There were some things going on um, that uh, where I was like, okay, I, um, I just want to go on to the next thing. And so I kind of quit. Um, I like literally made the decision um, and then the next day went in and handed in my notice. Okay, so, pretty quick. Um, and, and so, um, and I was, I felt pretty comfortable doing that just because I had, um, I had been within the D3 barrier community for a bit and so I had like some friends in the industry and um, and so for the first few months, like I, I was getting things purely word of mouth because I hadn't really said that I was freelancing yet. Mm. Um, but it was it was like it was quite slow and it was pretty stressful and I didn't make that much money for that first half a year. Right. Um, and so um, I wouldn't say do what I did <laughs> unless that's your personality. I, d- I did what I did because my personality is unfortunately like either 100% or 0%. Okay. And as soon as I... Um, made up my mind about freelancing. I knew I couldn't stay at a company because then um, I would just be miserable. Um, right. But yeah, so but because of that, it was a like pretty tough first six months. Um, on the other hand, uh, my friend that's also um, really great at uh, doing data. She's super good at data visualization. She's a freelancer, um, and I think she did the much smarter thing, which is that uh, she went to her employer, told them her plans, and. Um, 
uh, they were like, no, 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 stay with us, just work part time. And so okay. she worked part time with them, um, and kind of like established that um, uh, that uh, was that client book of like. Mm-hmm. So she slowly built up um, that uh, I guess roster of clients and projects, mm-hmm. and then um, once she felt really comfortable and she. Um, and she was like, okay, make sure that this is the thing I want to do. And then she went back to them and was like, hey, this is a decision I made. And then that's mm-hmm. when she went full time. So I think she did the first half a month, I mean, sorry, half a year in a much smarter way than I did. Um, gotcha. And worked part time and, and then slowly eased her way into the freelancing. Um, okay. And it was like a very smooth landing. Um, gotcha. But no matter which way you do it, um, um, portfolio hmm. is probably the most important if what you have is like a very visual skill right okay yeah so like making websites doing design work that's a that's a good candidate for portfolio i'm sure um what about like what would you think about just you know if you're if you're a programmer maybe in general or if you're doing you know back-end stuff uh does a um, portfolio work in the same kind of way would you think I think that's a lot tougher. I don't. I wouldn't know what to say to that. Um, mm. Just because, yeah. Um, I would have to really think about that one because, just like you said, like a portfolio might not be. And um, I don't think a portfolio would really work in that case because it's not very visual. I, I think that might be like when you have years of experience, and then yeah. it might just be um, a word of mouth of who else you've worked with. I'm sure, like back end people would be able to get a lot of clients that way. Of, um, if you just work and and for back end um, people that want to go freelance, I'm sure like it is necessary to get that like years and years of experience or like mm-hmm. a decade of experience just so just so that like you know whoever's hiring them feels much more confident about what they're getting. Yeah. Um, and then I'm sure because of those years of experience, they've worked with um, a lot of different coworkers, and that's probably how they can get their um, prospective clients. I yeah, have totally. a like that. Um, yeah, where she worked with like she worked at Google for like fifteen years, and and now that's she doesn't do any have she doesn't have to do any of the things I mentioned about portfolio or conferences. Mm. Um, she just gets all of her clients from past coworkers, cool. which is great. That's yeah. really good. That's convenient. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's really cool. Um, okay, cool. So yeah, uh, portfolio is really, really good thing to have. Um, relationships with folks in the industry, we've talked about that. Um, one thing I'm curious mm-hmm. about, we, you and I, I think are part of the, uh, this, we're part of the same club in a couple of regards. So we've got, uh, I see in your Twitter uh, bio that you are a Google developer expert. Um, yeah. So we're, as, as am I, um, but, but I don't think I've seen you at, at any events, uh, Google events. Do you, do, you, do you go to their, their, their like annual summits or? Um, I've been, I have been on GD for the last two years and for the last two years, their summits have always been at the same time as something else. Ah, okay. um, you've had and so like the first time it was like another conference and the second time I was doing like an artist residency 
Um, and so I think the fall is just like really busy for coffee yeah. season. And then, yeah, so I'm really sad. I went to Iowa last year, but it's still okay. huge, so. Yeah, that's big. So yeah. the, the GD uh, badge, do you find that it's helpful with uh, getting clients, with kind of establishing yourself uh, technically, or is it uh, is it kind of just like meh? It, it's all right, but it doesn't really do too much. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think my clients care at all. <laughs> they don't care. Okay, there you go. I don't think they even know that I am. I've had one, I think just one, reach out to me uh, because of that badge. Like they just happened mm -hmm. to find it on my LinkedIn, and they said, "Oh, this." This title sounds impressive. There, this person must know what he's doing, and so there's there's been one, that one occasion. It it actually I do I do a lot of work for a consulting company that uh, likes to hire GDEs uh, as oh. much as they can, and then that's one of the ways they solicit their services to their clients. It's like we you know yeah. we we have mostly GDEs on our team that that kind of thing, um, but otherwise for me not uh, you know not not the the most useful for, from a business standpoint, but like we've talked about mm -hmm. with con conference attendance and whatnot, useful in, in, in yeah. many other ways. Um, so that's one club. Another club is uh, Front End Masters alumni. So I've done uh, a few oh. um, workshops at Front End Masters, as have you. Um, the you know the workshop experience there, giving the workshop and uh, kind of the the follow up after that with with folks that take it online. That that's been really good mm -hmm. for me. You know, I've, I've definitely established some relationships uh, with clients uh, as a result of doing front-end master stuff. Have you had mm -hmm. the same experience or has it been a bit oh, different yeah. for you? Yeah. Yeah, no, front-end masters has been really, really, really great. I really enjoy working with them. Um, and it's just like you said, um, it was a really great experience like during the workshop and then um, after the workshop, it's also really good I, I love when people come out like, oh, I just finished your course. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't remember if I've gotten any clients directly because of Front End Masters, but certainly I've had a lot of people being like, oh, I found your work through Front End Masters. Right. Yeah. That's cool. So, Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, you know, for me, doing various things in various places has certainly been helpful. Yeah. Uh, I think all around business-wise, it's hard. It's interesting. It's like it's a hard thing to quantify, though. Like you know, un unless yeah. you really sat down and you know attributed like kind of you know your made, made some KPIs out of it. I, I don't know that it's uh, so easy to to assign credit to certain yeah. activities that we do, but it all leads into I think you know just getting our names out there in the in the long run. Yeah. And, and I, I um, the most important thing for me isn't necessarily doing something because it leads to my client projects. Like, mm -hmm. um, it's not it's not important to me to be like, um, I must track how many clients came because of what right. I did here. And um, the most important thing for me is that um, I'm just doing things that I enjoy, yep. um, that like I find really fun, and that also has the benefit of reaching more people and thus like potentially good for what I do. Um, but the primary thing is that I must enjoy it. And if I don't, yep. then I won't do it. Absolutely, yeah. I am right there with you. Um, that's that's really cool. So that's probably a good uh, a good place to start wrapping up. Um, where can people find you and hire you to do awesome data visualizations? 
Thank you so much. Um, so my website is sxywu.com. Um, those are my initials. Um, I've gotten questions about um, that handle. Those are my okay. initials. Okay. Just to clear, to clear that out. Okay, we'll put that, uh, put that in the show notes. We'll put the link in there. <laughs> Thank you. So that's that's my portfolio website. It um, needs to be updated. Okay. Um, and then uh, my Twitter is uh, the same, sxyw, or yeah, at sxyw. And actually my handle's all across the different online platforms are Okay, that's where people can find you everywhere. That sounds good. Um, any kind of resources uh, that you would point people towards that would be maybe helpful if they're exploring, maybe going and doing freelancing or even data visualizations, like if they want to get into that as, uh, you know, like something to do programming wise, uh, anything you'd recommend? Oh, yeah, so for freelancing, I think um, there was only one book I really read but it, I think it was a really good book, um, and I'm sure it gets recommended a lot. Um, it was called um, Work for Money, Design for Love, I think okay. that was the title. Um, something along those lines. It was really great. Um, uh, it was by someone that had been freelancing for 10 years in design, and it's just kind of a collection of all of his experiences and knowledge. And, um, so is that a, by, uh, is it David Airy? That's what I'm seeing here. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, work for money design for love answers to the most frequently asked questions about starting and running a successful design business yes okay perfect i will link that up yeah and and i think especially for someone trying to get into more creative side of freelancing i, I think that was really really great okay. and <clears throat> unfortunately that's that's the only thing i've um, read into freelancing Obviously, there's, I think, a lot of logistics to have to figure out for freelancing about how to set up um, a legal entity if, if they choose to, how to um, think through the finances and bank accounts mm. and, and uh, getting an accountant unless you're superbly good at uh, business mm. tax. <laughs> right. Yep. Um, so there's all of that, too. Um, for data visualization, um, I would say that uh, recently, in the last year, there's been an organization that's formed called Data Visualization Society, okay. um, and it's now grown to about 10,000 members, and they're um, doing quite a good job of like, trying to gather together uh, resources to support people just beginning in data visualization. So. Um, okay. Uh, I think that's a really great resource. I've also been told that I should plug my own front end master workshop more. Really? <laughs> um, <and> so <laughs> I have, <laughs> I've, uh, um, I would recommend the Intro to D3 course, uh, which um, is basically, I designed that course uh, in a way that I had hoped to be taught D3, or I had hoped to learn D3 when I was starting. So okay. um, I think. I've gotten a lot of feedback that it's been really useful. Yeah, perfect. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Well, uh, it has been a blast chatting with you. Um, the stuff that people can, uh, the, the the links that we've mentioned, people can see those on uh, in the show notes once uh, once the episode goes live. Um, thank you so much for being on today. Anything else you'd like to say or plug before we go? No, I think uh, that was it. Thank you so much. That was really fun, Ryan. 
Absolutely, it's been uh, it's been a pleasure, and uh, I will hopefully see you at uh, an event sometime soon. Um, a Google not, event, <laughs> a Google event, perhaps. Uh, if not, I really uh, want to make it this year. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, um, and and if nothing else, we'll uh, chat with you online. So thanks, thanks very much, Shirley. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Entrepreneurial Coder Podcast today. This has been episode number 18 with Shirley Wu. You can find links to all the resources that Shirley mentioned at ecpodcast.io. While you're there, head over to the subscribe page and click subscribe for whichever podcast listening service you use. And if you'd like to say hi on Twitter, it's twitter.com slash coderpodcast. Until next time, happy hacking. Happy hacking.